You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, welcome to FC. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Today we're going to wrap up the To Be Human series. The To Be Human series is about worship, believing that every single person who was ever created and on this planet worships, worships something, worships someone. So to be human is to worship. And today I'm going to try to put a bow on these six weeks that we've spent together studying and looking at worship. Also, we're going to tie it into Labor Day and work, and how does work and worship come together, and what does it look like to use your work and leverage your work for his worship and his kingdom? And then we're going to prepare our hearts for coming around the Lord's table today as we share together in communion. So a lot of things to bring together. Let's pray and ask God to do that for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, this day. Uh, We worship you, and even as we study and listen and discuss uh, your word today, we pray that we hear something that touches our hearts. Prepare the soil, the fields of our heart that we might be able to receive what you have for us and bind the enemy from our minds and our hearts to uh, not let him take away the seeds of truth that get planted on this day. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So there are always people that are around and maybe you hear them, they like to talk about and ask questions about the big contemplative existential questions of the day, especially sometimes as it relates to spiritual things or God. For instance, if God is all-powerful, can he make a rock so big that even he can't move it? Or if God is all-powerful and so strong, and why is there so much evil and bad and pain in the world? Many people ask these questions, and they just can't always figure them out. So I've been thinking a lot lately, and I feel like I've been diving into these deeper questions that I have, and as I sit on my back porch and look out at the trees and the woods, my mind is beginning to run, and I've been thinking just this week about some really deep questions that I just can't find answers to. They don't make sense to me. The first one was, Why do we park in a driveway and drive on a parkway? I mean, it just doesn't, you know. And then the second one that seems even deeper that I cannot get my mind around is, can soap get dirty? Like I dropped the soap in the shower. Did the soap just get dirty or did the floor just get clean. And if it touched dirt and it cleaned it, what's dirt called if it's not dirty anymore? Right? Anybody pondering? No, okay. But but seriously, there are some great questions, especially as it relates to God. And in 1648, a group of English and Scottish people got together and they created this thing called the Westminster Catechism. And it's a list of 
questions, and then they tried to answer those questions in an attempt to bring some truth and belief system and, and rally around that and bring unity and something to actually teach their people. And the first question, which has become the most popular question perhaps in the entire Westminster Catechism, is what is the chief end of man. What ultimately is our purpose and why do we exist? What's the chief purpose of man? And they answered this question very simply with the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Doesn't that sound good? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In a word, worship. Worship. Worship is essentially the experience of magnifying the glory of God above everything else, and the essence of worship is being satisfied in Him. Is everything about our life glorifying God, and is the essence of everything in our life about enjoying Him? I enjoy God. Worship has always been and will always be the ultimate purpose of God in the universe. It will cultivate ultimately in all its fullness. As John says in the Revelation chapter 7, I saw a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, saying, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bringing glory and honor and praise to the one true God. Worship. As John Piper says, the only reason anything else exists, the only reason missions exist or ministry exists is because worship doesn't. And where worship doesn't exist, worshiping the one true God, we need to do mission and ministry to bring them under the lordship and headship of Christ. We've learned throughout this series that the Old Testament worship was distinctly connected to place and to form. That in this place, there was the tabernacle and then uh, the temple that was built in Jerusalem. And worship was very specifically about the place. You go to this place to connect and to worship to God to make your sacrifices. But not only place, but also was very specific in form. I want you to do this. I want you to execute this. I want you to sacrifice that and use this and eat this and dedicate that and offer this. A very specific emphasis on place and upon form. And then in John chapter 4, Jesus radically shifts the concept of worship from place and form. You no longer bring a sacrifice to worship. You are the sacrifice in worship. And we bring ourselves and we lay our heart upon the altar of God as a living sacrifice. And as Jesus begins to have a conversation with this relationally challenged Samaritan woman, and they begin to talk about water, drinking water, living water, 
And then they moved the conversation to her marriage and her dating history. The conversation begins to move to worship. Look at John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain place, but you say that in Jerusalem is the what? Place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. Now, this is about the only place in Scripture, or one of very few, where Jesus says, Believe me. The hour is coming when neither this place nor that place, <laughs> this mountain nor the Jerusalem, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And in this statement right here, Jesus, there's a, in the Greek original language, there's an article in front of salvation. So it's really for the salvation, or it could even be translated for the Savior is from the Jews, Jesus making a reference even to himself. But the hour is coming, and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Wow. In this one moment, this one story, this incredible revelation being given to this misguided, relationally Samaritan woman. I mean, every category you could hit to say these are not the person, uh, she is not the person who should receive this amazing revelation that in this moment, he is taking the Old Testament place and form and leaving it and moving to an entirely new worship strategy where it's now in spirit and in truth. She's still caught in the Old Testament system. Uh, it's this mountain, and you say Jerusalem, and Jesus is saying you're missing the whole point. It doesn't have anything to do about place, and you're supposed to bring this. It doesn't have anything to do about form. And he shifts our worship focus from place and form to spirit of truth, and now it's about an internal reality, which in a sense it always was. It didn't do any good to bring an offering to the temple if your heart was far from God. But now it presses internally. Paul continues this emphasis in the epistles and, and speaking on spirit and truth, not place and form in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever. Always, forever, everywhere, anywhere, worship simply becomes our life. It is an expression of who we are. It's an internal reality of spirit and truth, no longer a place do I have to go or a form that I have to execute. It is in me. It is about me. It's who I am. And then he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he closes it out at the, as he comes to the conclusion of that and says, seek first the kingdom of God. 
So what does this mean to to move past place and form and a building and go here and do this to spirit and truth while I embrace, engage, and seek with all my heart the greatest priority of my life as a follower of Jesus is to seek his kingdom, to seek the kingdom of God. If my life is fully devoted to King Jesus, and I have made his kingdom my highest priority, and I want to bring glory and honor to his great name and live fully and completely satisfied in God forever, and I do that always and everywhere and anywhere and in everything, regardless of place and form, then every part of my life must be absorbed in the glorification of King Jesus, even as we talk on this Labor Day about our work and our job. Work is where we spend the majority of our time, many between 40 and 60 hours a week. For some, even when they're not at work, their minds are continually thinking about work. And as important as our work is, work is not our mission. Work is not our mission, and work is not to be worshipped, to place high value or place weight upon that above the weight we place on King Jesus and his kingdom. For many, we have tangled this idea up. But not only should it not be your, it's not your mission and it's, it's, it's not to be worshipped, it's also not to be dreaded and misery. Only as we understand the epic story throughout history and our part and the kingdom's part of bringing that kingdom about to the culmination of moving us to Revelation chapter 7, do we understand even why work exists and its purpose in our lives? So let's talk about that. What is the purpose of work? And now let's move to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer. And you know, how does the Lord's Prayer, what does it have to do with work? Great question. Well, first of all, we know that work's purpose, and one of the purposes for work, is to provide for our daily needs. To provide for our daily needs. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, as, as, uh, as Jesus is beginning to teach us how to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise, worship, honor, weightedness, loftiness, your glory. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So work and the resources work provide for us are God's gift to us to provide for our daily needs, our daily needs. Part of glorifying God and being fully satisfied in him is to thank him every day for feeding our family, giving you a roof over your head and clothes. Every time you eat, you should thank God for your job. Assuming your job gives you the resources, the money to buy food so that you and your family can eat. And it's very difficult in a land of plenty, perhaps when you think jobs are easily acceptable, and if this one ends, that one, 
for us not to glorify God in whatever we do and when we eat and drink and everything that we do to give praise and glory to his name. So every time you see your children eat something, you should praise God. Amen? Praise God. Praise God for the resources. Praise God for the job that you gave me to have the money to buy the food. Praise God for the health and the skills and the talent that you gave me to glorify your name. You didn't give me work to glorify me. You gave it to me to glorify your name. And by meeting my daily needs, you did that to glorify you in your sovereignty. To provide for my needs. Every time you sign your child up for some kind of activity or hobby or league or whatever, thank God for your job. Give him glory and honor and praise that you have a job that provides resources so that your children can participate in him. Give him the glory for what he has given to you. Every time you sit in a boring meeting at work, You might be leading the meeting, but you can tell I'm leading a boring meeting. Rather than getting depressed and negative, staring out the window and dreaming of better days, I thank God that I'm able to be here to experience this because even sitting through a boring meeting, God, I want to give you glory because this is part of the job that has given me resources and money so that I can buy food and medicine and a roof, and clothes, and I want to give you the glory and honor for all of that in the name of Jesus. I just got back from Haiti this week, amazing time setting up our discipleship multiplication strategy there. I'm excited to tell you about that in length at some point, but in Haiti, there's a 70 to 80 percent unemployment rate. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Those 70, 80% of unemployed would love to have any job, not the perfect job, the special job, the right job, the one that makes me feel fulfilled, any job, because they have made the connection for this verse, that, that give us this day our daily bread. And they know that any job, any job that pays them any amount of money is connected to food and their children's needs and clothes and perhaps a tin roof over some sticks that would hold it up. They're so thankful. The believers there are so thankful who have a job. And they love to glorify God who provides for their daily needs through that job. So be thankful. Be thankful. Not miserable. Not regretting. Not about your glory because you're good, but about glorifying God that he has blessed you and given to you in his sovereignty something that gives you resources that you can provide for your daily needs. And then the second thing we see, the purpose of work, is to provide for the kingdom. To provide for the kingdom. We just read 633, to seek first the kingdom of God above anything else. And then we read, In the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is both an answer to give us this day our daily bread prayer and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven prayer. God brings this 
to the utmost important. Nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. Nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. Nothing. Family. Work. Nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the only thing that makes life have any sense about it. In this series, Pastor Trent taught us about pain and suffering, family and jobs. You put any category, and and the view that makes any sense out of this world and the pain of this world and the craziness of this world and the agony and and just life itself and the grind of getting up to go to work all the time and and the grind of the family and and the, the, the craziness that can happen. The only thing that makes sense out of all of this is looking at it through the lens of the kingdom of God. Everything is about the kingdom of God. And we define that. We go into it in depth in our Camp 2 uh, class here. We, we, we spend a whole day talking about uh, in depth the kingdom of God. But very simply, the kingdom of God is this. Life as it was meant to be. Life as God meant it to be. So we see here, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth. In heaven is where life as God meant it to be always happens. We can look at the Bible in three different sections, Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden and Paradise, and Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. Again, Paradise, the restoration of the beginning. Life as it was meant to be, and yet we live right here in Middle Earth. Jesus comes in the midst of Middle Earth, sets up his kingdom, and says the kingdom of God is now here. And he heals the sick, and he raises the dead, and he feeds the hungry. Why? Because there's no sickness in the kingdom. There are no orphans in the kingdom. There's no suffering and disease in the kingdom. There's no death in the kingdom. There are no lost people in the kingdom. Life as God meant it to be. And we are to be actively about this kingdom and bringing it to earth as it is in heaven. That's our role. That's what we do as King Jesus servants. At Foothills Church, we have a food ministry that provides food for the Alcoa school system, the elementary school, the intermediate school, and the middle school. And in a partnership with Second Harvest Food Bank, We provide every week bags of non-perishable food for the poorest or least, uh, they they think these are the kids that have the least opportunity to eat on the weekend. And on Friday as they leave school, because they've eaten lunch and breakfast at school, they don't know what they're going to get on the weekend. They hand them a bag every Friday in their backpack as they go home so to make sure these kids have something to eat. Kingdom. There's no hunger in the kingdom. And the poorest school in Blount County, we're told, Rockford Elementary, we, we have mentors who go in to help these children who have fallen behind, and they know that if they don't catch up, their life is not headed for a good place. And our small groups here have adopted classrooms at Rockford to be the classroom moms, in a sense, to care for those under-resourced teachers in those under-resourced classrooms, kingdom. We demonstrate the love of Jesus in the kingdom. 
bringing about the kingdom, but not just the demonstration of that love, also the sharing of this love. Of course, a big part of the kingdom is telling people about the king, amen? Telling people about the king. We share his love. We spread the gospel of the good news. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not yet in my sheep pen. They're not yet in the fold. And I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice when they hear it. When somebody shares about the shepherd, Jesus said, I've got other sheep. They're my sheep, but they're not my sheep yet. They've not been brought into the fold. They've not been brought into the sheep pen. Why? Because no one has told them about the shepherd yet. No one has told them about King Jesus, so they're not being brought in yet, but they're waiting. They're they're the green lights. They're the, the people that are around us. No, not everybody is responsive to the gospel. Not everybody is a green light ready to, to give their faith and trust in Jesus, but there are some, and they're out there. They're waiting to hear about the shepherd, to hear about King Jesus. We have a team in Washington, D.C., where we planted our church, uh, uh, church years ago, and, uh, and our team is there helping right now in D.C., working with our church plant that we have there. Why? Because there are sheep in the Georgetown area of Washington, D.C., where we're at. There are sheep there that are not yet in the flock. We just got back from Haiti, and we were setting up, as I said, our, our strategy, our multiplication church planning strategy there. We have a student team going in a few weeks to Haiti. Why? Because there are sheep in Haiti that are his sheep, but they're not his sheep yet. They're not yet in the sheep pen. They're not yet in the fold. In October, I'll be going to West Zambia and some other countries there, and there's an unreached, unengaged people group in West Zambia that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there's no church. There's no gospel presence. There's no Christian that lives around them or lives among them. They've never heard the name of Jesus, much less had the opportunity to respond yes or no to the gospel. Why are we going there? Simple reason. We believe with all of our hearts that there are some sheep in that people group that are Jesus' sheep. They're not sheep yet, but as soon as they hear the gospel message, as Jesus said, they will listen to my voice. They will hear and they will follow me. It's so exciting to be about looking for his sheep that aren't his sheep yet. Tomorrow morning or Tuesday or whenever you go back to work, this week, there are sheep there. There are some of Jesus' sheep there that are not yet his sheep. Waiting for someone like you, waiting for kingdom servants to talk to him, to talk to these not yet sheep, to hear the gospel, to demonstrate the love of Christ, to share the love of Christ. And when they hear that, not everybody, I get it, not everybody at your work is seeking and dying to hear the gospel, but there are some. Jesus said, I've got some other sheep out there that are not yet in my sheep pen. They're not in the flock. And when you go to work, We want to leverage that for his kingdom, looking for his sheep. 
You are to bring about the kingdom there, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your work, all around you, in your family, as we demonstrate and share the love of Jesus. So we, God gives us these amazing resources because he gives us a job and we meet our own personal needs. And then it's to make the kingdom the priority. And in the kingdom, we have some things. We, when I see the kingdom, I think we're giving to two things in the kingdom. We're giving to the two greats. The great commandment and the great commission. Love God with all your heart and love others as you love yourself. So as we, we take these resources and we meet our own needs, we also take these resources God has given us and we meet the needs of other people. Love others. We meet their needs and we meet the Great Commission's needs. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything. So your job is so important. Typically, people who give to the two greats, who give to the kingdom, are people who have jobs. So that the kingdom is advanced. How does this happen? Because God in his sovereignty, God in his sovereignty, and for the purpose, I want you to make sure you hear this, and for the purpose of bringing himself glory, bringing glory to himself, in his sovereignty, and for the purpose of bringing glory to his name, has given us jobs so that we could make money from those jobs and resources to provide for our own needs, not our own wants necessarily, but our own needs. And many of us have taken those resources, instead of leveraging for the kingdom, we've leveraged them for our own comfort and our own desires. And we've leveraged them in such a way that are not advancing the gospel, they're advancing the glorification of our own selves and our own family. Just because we make 100000 or $200,000 doesn't mean we have to live lifestyles that maximize those resources so that we cannot give to kingdom purposes and the cause of the kingdom. Jesus said, pray that your needs would be met. Give us this day our daily bread. But in God's sovereignty and for the purpose of bringing glory to his name, he's given us jobs so that we can have resources, money to provide for our own needs and then generously give to the kingdom by the two greats, loving others and helping others with their needs and the kingdom of making disciples to all nations. So that they could hear about King Jesus, follow him, and then that more people would join us and this grand choir of Revelation chapter 7 to bring glory to his name and be satisfied in him so that every tribe, tongue, language, nation, people group would join together in the glory of his name. And everything we do in this story of this epic story of God bringing about all of history, all the present, all the future, moving it to the culmination of that day 
when his kingdom actually comes and his will actually is done. So my main thoughts about work should not be, how do I take care of myself? It should be, how do I leverage what I have for the kingdom of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God and for the advancement of the glorification and magnification of the one true God and displaying my overwhelming satisfaction in him. Thank you, Lord, for giving me skills, health, and abilities. Thank you for giving me a job to leverage those. Thank you for giving me a job that both provides for my needs and advances your kingdom, that which you are most concerned about, and the magnification and glorification of your name, which is your ultimate goal. That and that alone makes life have purpose and meaning. When we see the synergy of our work and our worship and our family and our skills and resources, when all of that comes together, And we see the purpose of all that through the lens of the kingdom of God. Everything begins to make sense. My pain, my suffering, my experiences of both joy and pain only make sense as we look through the lens of the kingdom. It's not about making a name for me or for you. It's about making a name for God and his glory. You say, well, I thought I was just selling widgets or selling insurance or building this or selling that and giving resources and making copy and delivering mail. If you're not seeing that through the lens of the kingdom, then there's a sense that that's all you're doing. And that's exhausting for me. To think that I get up and do the things that I do just because I need something or money. No, I want to see it through the lens of the kingdom and then everything begins to make sense. It all begins to make sense. Then I'm not just selling insurance. I'm not just delivering mail. I'm not just making this product. I'm not just serving people with this particular widget or this gadget. No, I'm bringing about the advancement of his kingdom. And that gives everything I do meaning and purpose for the glory of his name. Amen? Makes sense. Yeah. You do not retire from the kingdom. You will retire from your job because your job is not your mission. Your job is not your purpose. Your job is not the end. Your job is a means to the end of the advancement of the kingdom and the glorification of God the Father. And how I leverage all of these things that are means to the end is where faithfulness and obedience and all of these things play in to this great day yet to come. You know, I'm not sure we think through this enough. Rarely do you see people, I see it a lot the other way, but I don't see it where people are, hey, I got an opportunity for a new job. 
And, and typically when people leave one job and go to another job, even in my profession of ministry and preaching and pastors, if they leave one job to go to another job, that other job typically has something that this job does not. Anybody know what it is? Huh? More money. I mean, there's not like this trend ripping through the American culture where people are leaving a job where they make this much and going to a job where they make this much so that they have more time, resources, energy to <laughs> leverage and invest in the kingdom. Matter of fact, I rarely see pastors leave one church and go to another that's smaller <laughs> with less money. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's part of our culture. But, but when we begin to see the significance of our job, maybe that gives me more leverage when I take this job because it has more money. I can give more to the kingdom. Praise God for that. But many times more money requires more responsibility, more time away, more or less energy you're going to have for less this, less this, less this. And we're giving leftovers, if any, to the kingdom. You don't retire from the kingdom, you'll retire from your job. Why? Because your job's not the mission, and the kingdom is. I'm going to close back in John chapter 4. And really be, put a bow on this whole series on worship. And make sure of all the things that we see, we don't miss this. At the end of their conversation in verse 26, the woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is going to come. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. In conclusion for this whole series, just to put a bow on it, here it is. We have to understand the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Why are we trying to get people to worship God? Why are we supposed to worship God? Because there is no other God worthy of our worship. Amen? There is no other God worthy of our worship. Jesus alone is God. Jesus alone is the exclusive way to God the Father. You say, wow, how can you be so exclusive? I'm not. Jesus is being exclusive. I am he. There aren't 10 of us. There aren't 20 ways. He says in John 11, I am the resurrection and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus teaches us that the exclusivity of the gospel is him. So why do we do what we do? Why do we make worship such a big deal? Because there are over two billion Muslims who are worshiping a false God who does not deserve their glory. Jesus alone deserves their glory. Amen? There are over one billion Hindus in India and around the world who are worshiping over 300 million gods they're sacrificing and giving their resources to and their time and their fear and praying to and lighting candles to something that does not exist. It's a false God. They're not worthy of their 
precious glory, but Jesus alone is worthy of their glory. Amen? There are Buddhists, there are others, there are animists all around the world worshiping something that does not deserve their glory. For some of you sitting in this room, you are giving your precious worship to something or someone that is not worthy of your worship. And you may be going to work, worshiping your work. You may be going to work, and you may have a family, and you have resources, and you're worshiping something about all of that, and, and, and that is not worthy of your worship. Only Jesus is worthy of your worship. And somewhere along the way in our culture, we have lost our spiritual spine, and we're afraid to say Jesus is the only way. And when people ask me, are you sure? Are you sure there aren't 10 ways, and there are a lot of ways, and I believe in pluralism, and I believe there are a lot of ways, and I can say, you can believe that with all your heart. But Jesus is the only way. He's the only one worthy of your worship. Do you believe that? And that's got to drive us. It's got to drive us because there aren't a hundred ways. There aren't ten ways. There aren't two ways. There's one way, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ bringing us to God the Father who alone is worthy of our worship. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, I want to close by telling the story. When I was in high school, graduating from high school in 1982, for some of you, you don't believe there was such a year as 1982, but I assure you that it existed. And sitting on the hot football field at Lebanon High School in Lebanon, Ohio, hoping this would go quick because we're burning up in our black robes. In Ohio, there weren't a hundred churches in our city. There were just a couple. There was a Catholic church, a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, a Baptist church. You know, just, we, that's the way it was. And my dad was the pastor of the Baptist church, so when I was graduating, they asked him to come and give the invocation, and he prayed. And then the second pastor, to close it out in the benediction, just happened to be the Methodist pastor, and I was dating his daughter. So it was a weird kind of thing, the Baptist pastor dating the Methodist pastor. Basically, all we talked about was baptism. You don't have to be. Yes, you do. You don't have to be. Yes, you do. It's awesome. I'm talking about baptism for those of you who are going, what's he talking about? Okay. So this guy, this guy, he's president, pastor of the United Methodist Church. And I just felt like, in all honesty, he was a little odd. Kind of a quirky fella, you know, just a socially awkward. I didn't get along with him. We didn't connect. So here he comes, coming up to the podium as he comes up in his robe, right? He's a Methodist guy, so he's got his robe on. Fluffy, kinky hair. And he comes up and he grabs a podium. Let's all pray. We bow our head. He says, remember God. And he walks away. And I thought, 
All my fears have just been confirmed. This guy's a nut job. What in the world? And typically I wouldn't care, but because of the dating situation, I'm loosely connected to him, and I just, we all laughed. What is crazy? What is he doing? Silly. You've been preparing all week long for this prayer. That's what you came up with? And after jostling and laughing and cracking and making fun, and years later, as I began to mature and become more committed and faithful and serious to King Jesus and his kingdom, I remember that prayer. And I thought, that wasn't a stupid prayer. That may have been the best prayer I've ever heard. I mean, at this age of my life and where I've grown up, I've heard thousands upon perhaps tens of hundreds of thousands of prayers in my life. I've said thousands. I only remember one. Remember God. And I thought, that's beautiful. Really, I mean, that's beautiful. Of course, we were high school graduates, and as you go out to college or vocation or your new life, remember God. As you start dating and getting serious about dating and perhaps getting married, remember God. As you think about getting a job and settling down and buying a house and getting debt and having children, and remember God. And now all these years later, I think, I think that was the most brilliant prayer I've ever heard. As you go out today, remember God. As you go to work this week, remember God. As you think you're going to buy something that's going to make your life better, more comfortable, remember God. As you think about leaving one job and going to another, remember God. As you think about what our role here is as individuals and as a church in Haiti, India, Africa, England, Montana, and Washington, D.C., remember God. Remember God. I think it's the most profound prayer I've ever heard. Because most of the things that we do that have gotten us off track, are probably times when we, we weren't thinking about God. We just weren't. I was thinking about glorifying me, making my life better, making my family's life better, bringing me comfort. I wasn't, I've had to be honest, I wasn't thinking about God when I bought that car. I was thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about God when I took that job or that job or when I was feeding me and ignoring feeding them. Because I think God, if I was thinking about God, God would have wanted me to feed them. Remember God. And as we pull our chairs up around the Lord's table today and participate in communion, that's really all the Lord's Supper is, isn't it? I mean, remember. Remember.
Remember what Jesus has done for you. He died on a cross. He took your sins, not his sins. He didn't have any sins. He took your sins, and he gave you, for those of you who are following him, he gave you his righteousness. What a deal. What a deal. So we look back at what he does and what he did, and then we look forward to that day, that day. Until his kingdom comes and his will is done, we look toward that day. So we remember what is done and we look forward to what will be. Praise God. And we live in the kingdom of doing everything we can to move all of life toward that day. Remember. So let's pray. If you're a follower of Jesus and you made him your king, you are his servant. Hopefully, his kingdom is your highest priority. But even if you're not a partner of this church or a member of this church, if you are a follower of Jesus and you make Jesus the authority of your life, I want you to know you're, you're welcome here. This is the Lord's table, not ours. as we take this, we remember the broken body. You broke your body so that my body wouldn't have to break. You shed your blood so that I wouldn't have to shed mine. And so we love you, King Jesus, and we, we worship you, and we glorify you, and and, and, and it's not about place and form. We could take the Lord's Supper and our heart be far away from God. Don't let that be you. This is not a ritual. It's not a form. It's to remember. To remember. And to bring your heart in alignment with King Jesus and his kingdom. So Lord, this is our offering. Our heart is, is the offering that we bring to lay on your altar. And we participate in your broken body and your blood as a, as a memory to remember what you have done for us and to look forward to that day and let our lives, everything about our life, be leveraged for the kingdom and let us participate in the ultimate goal of God to bring glory to his great name and the advancement of his kingdom and to enjoy him forever and ever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.